friends, welcome on into episode 153 of the SCO Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield, happy to be in the big chair for today, Wednesday, November 25th, 2020. I got to tell you kids, that's not take one. I said September and I said October on the first two takes of that intro. Yeah. It's been that kind of week, but we have made it to Thanksgiving Eve, believe it or not, and wherever you are, I hope you are safe. I hope your family and those you love and care about are well. I'm going to have some Thanksgiving thoughts at the end of this show, which you are more than welcome to just tune out. Believe me, like I get it, but this is a mailbag show. I did open up the mailbag for today's installment and we got a ton of questions to get to, so we're going to dive right in. The first one comes to me from a, uh, a good friend, uh, Richard Schrager, who is on Twitter at R-S-S-C-H-R-A-G-E-R. What is the number two Thanksgiving meat after turkey? And is it really a Thanksgiving meal without a green bean casserole? Thanks for taking my question. I'll hang up and listen. And first up, I get that there are a lot of People who are anti-turkey, I get it. I understand that one of the common arguments is, look, if you have to spend hours preparing and basting and marinating and doing all these things to dress something up, it's really not that good. And I get it, but it's tradition and I love it. So yeah, turkey still for me, maybe not for you and your family, but for me, it's Thanksgiving meat number one. Number two is an, a, a question mark, which is why Richard asked the question. For me, it's ham. I'm a big believer in the ham, um, but I understand that there are those that go the duck route. I get it. I understand that those there are those that go in a completely different route. I've seen the lasagna as the Thanksgiving dish of note, take, floating around there, and I'm a big supporter of that. Lasagna was the Thanksgiving meal in my family for years. That's what my grandmother made. That's what my mom made. Like, I get it. Believe me, I do. And so, yeah, I get the whole lasagna as a Thanksgiving dish. I am completely on board. As for green bean casserole, I must admit, until I met my wife, I didn't understand green bean casserole. It was it was completely foreign to me. And I understand it looking at a map that I saw recently on Twitter of the Thanksgiving side dishes by region of the country. The Midwest, like west of Illinois... Like that section, Nebraska, where my wife grew up, that's green bean casserole country. The Northeast, New England, where I grew up, that's squash country. Um, So I was not exposed to the green bean casserole, the goodness that is the green bean casserole, until I met my wife. And full disclosure, Thanksgiving at our house now has green bean casserole as a staple. So no, Richard, it is not a Thanksgiving meal without a green bean casserole. Next question comes from the one and only Chuck Zotta, who is on Twitter, at ZottaZone. Is flag football or two-hand touch the better game and why? And I think I have to take the cop out here and say, it depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for the turkey bowl in the backyard amongst the family, two-hand touch, it's much better. It's easier, it's quicker, you can set it up and go. 
if you're looking for a true test of like athletic ability and as close as you're going to get, I think flag football is the better test because you get the belts, they clip, you're attacking the center of gravity. So there's a leverage issue at play. You can make people miss in the open field. It's much closer to the replication of the tackle and process, I think. Like, if you're just running past somebody and they throw out a hand or a pair of hands and touch you, like, that's not that's not going to be a, anything close to a tackle. But if you are in a position where you can just like sort of break down and grab a belt that's on somebody's waist, like, that more replicates the actual tackle. And so there's more athleticism involved. And, you know, after law school, when I moved to the D.C. area, I played in a fairly competitive, like, flag football league uh, called the Capital Alumni Network, C-A-N. Um, I played for the University of Illinois. I was a Rainer, believe it or not. But we had we had games against teams like Penn State that rolled, like, 40 deep. And they were, like, three deep at every position. And they had, like, legitimately some of it was a lawn snapper. Like, their fifth straight lawn snapper would be the, their center. And so their quarterback could align, like, 15 yards deep, and you weren't getting home no matter what. Um, I remember a game against Florida State that was ridiculously athletic. Um, those were some good games, and that was flagged. And you got a good sense of what teams were good and what teams weren't as a result of it. And so I think if you're just throwing it around in the backyard this Thursday, two-hand touch is fine. But the true test of athleticism is the flag game. Now we're going to get to some legitimate questions about the team. Rodrigo Morales at K Porson at Q-U-E-P-O-R-C-I-O-N. Gentle listener. One of my favorite listeners uh, down in uh, Chile. What's going on with our defense? Is there a way to fix it? And I think you have to start with the talent drain. I mentioned it last week. Actually, two weeks ago now. You know, when you think back to that game against the Ravens, when they would roll five linebackers out there, those five linebackers were Juwan Bentley, Kyle Van Noy, Dante Hightower, Landon Roberts, and Jamie Collins only one of whom is now on this roster, the active roster. Three of them are gone, two to Miami, one to Detroit, and of course Dante Hightower opted out. And then you look at the next level of the defense, the secondary, you lost to Ron Harmon, and you lost Patrick Chun, who also opted out. And when you, back in March, April, May, thought, hey, Kyle Duggar, this guy's great, but... You know, we'd love to have a situation where he gets to carry Patrick Chun's clubs for a year. Now you don't get that. And so I think the talent drain is a big part of it. The other part that I think we have to sort of remember is, yes, the defense has been bad at times this year, but they're playing good teams and good offenses and good quarterbacks. And we saw that this past week. Deshaun Watson is very good. And so I think in some respects, this is more... uh, Something we saw coming in terms of the teams and the quarterbacks they were going to play. The talent drain at multiple levels of the defense. You put those pieces together, you're going to struggle. Like, in, in sort of in terms of fixing it, I think getting some of those guys back that opted out, Chun, Hightower, will certainly help. I think having an actual training camp so you can get guys like Kyle Duggar up to speed will certainly help. Josh Uche, Anthony Jennings, also in that mix. Getting these rookies coached up is going to help. 
Um, but this was just a set of circumstances coming together that really sort of spelled doom, I think, for this defense. Next question, pair of questions actually, comes from Drew Mignosa at D-M-I-G-N-O-S-A. A couple of games that they lost have really set this team back. Seahawks, Bills, Broncos, Houston. Do you see that as who this team really is, or would this be a much stronger team in a normal year? I think this would be a much stronger team in a normal year. I really do. I, I think if they had had a full preseason training camp, you didn't have the opt-outs, even though you lose guys like Van Noy and Collins and Harmon and Roberts via free agency, I think this team's better. I think if Newton has a full training camp, preseason games, all that stuff, I think this offense is better, even with the guys that they have on the roster right now. And I do think that in a certain sense, you know, it's easy to just say, hey, look, COVID, it's really changed things. But I do think at some point in time, globally, we are going to have a deeper understanding of COVID-19 and what it does to the human body. And I don't know if people caught this over the weekend. I was doing yard work when suddenly my Twitter DMs blew up with, have you seen, did you see what just happened with Todd McShay? who was at the Wisconsin-Northwestern game. And I, I stopped what I was doing. I started searching on Twitter, and I finally found a clip of it. And I couldn't tell if he was cold. I couldn't tell if he was having a stroke. He didn't look well. And ESPN released a statement saying that he, he, they did pull him from the game because of illness. And Tom McShay did have a struggle with COVID-19. And there are some studies that have shown, that have illustrated that there are neurological impacts from this disease. There's obviously the myocardial impact, which you saw Bill's player now sidelined for the season, having myocarditis as a result of his COVID-19 bout. And that brings us to Cam Newton. And I, I know that there's some questions over you know how healthy he was, both right during his diagnosis and the immediate aftermath of his diagnosis. This is just really a weird season. So Drew, to your point... I don't think that these close losses are who this team really is, like on paper. I think that, again, we're just, we're seeing a lot of things we don't know about this illness and a lot of factors go into where this team right now stands that I don't think really reflect the talent on this team. And we get a second question from Drew here. As a fan, it's tempting to start thinking about next year. Where do you think the team goes from here? Would you bring Cam back? And, you know, I, I think the biggest thing, the biggest issue to address, the biggest question facing this team is obviously the Cam question. And I put out a video on Twitter on Monday saying that I'm basically in the pro-Cam camp. I, I think... This offense would be so much worse without him. And numbers back that up. I think film backs that up. And I think in a regular good old-fashioned training camp, this is a much better offense than it is right now with Cam Newton. Um, so I think he's earned the right to get a shot at being this team's quarterback for the near future. Now, he's on a one-year deal. And the numbers will probably have to be right. But 
I think if you're looking around right now at the Joe Burrows, the Justin Herberts of the world and thinking we can get that, I'm not so sure you can get that at like, say, 12, 13, 14 in the draft. Maybe, maybe not. You know, and it brings to mind the old family guy scene. Look, a boat's a boat, but a box could be anything. It could be a boat. You might have the boat right now. And the mystery box looks great, but you've got the boat. And so I'm in the pro camp camp, but I do think, you know, we'll have to see how the numbers work. I th- but I think everything that happens stems from there. Because if they bring Cam back, then you can look at whether it's you know linebacker, whether it's wide receiver, whether it's help along the offensive line, which I don't think you really need. Uh, I think wide receiver, tight end, linebacker are probably the areas you look. You know, the, the Florida tight end would be great. Micah Parsons, the linebacker, would be great. Jamar Chase would be great. I mean, you know, there's obviously talent at those positions. And thankfully, if you're a Patriots fan, wide receiver and tight end are pretty deep this year looking around. So, you know, I think in a Mark Schofield best-case scenario world, they find a way to bring Cam back. The numbers work, and they can address one of those positions with that first-round pick. But that's what I would do. We're going to take a break now, uh, pay some bills, all that fun stuff. Up next, some more of your questions here in this Thanksgiving Eve installment of The Sco Show. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 153 of The Sco Show. And going to keep rolling through your questions here. Like I said, we got a bunch of them. I got one from Alistair, who is on Twitter, at HRTinker. And I got to say, this one drove me to Twitter, drove me to Google, drove me to do some research, because the question was, do you put cheddar cheese on your apple pie? And I got to say, I'm a man, I'm 43, been around a while. This was a new one for me. I had not, and apparently it's a thing, but I had not heard of this before. Um, and the answer is no, I don't put cheddar cheese on my apple pie. I understand now that there are people that do, um, but no, 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 no. I like fruit. I like cheese. I love cheese. I eat a lot of cheese, probably too much cheese. Um, I like apple pie. I like cheddar cheese, but I, I, no, I do not do that. Um, and look, I also understand this is going to be one of those get off my lawn moments, but every day when I log in on Twitter, I see another one of these food debates where it's like, how do you take your coffee? And it's got like black, you know, then you've obviously got a little bit of cream in it, maybe more cream, more cream. And by the end, it looks like milk on the end of their spectrum. And people are yelling at each other or it's like the same thing with toast. And it's the same thing with like, how well done do you like your steaks and things like that. Eat what you like, drink what you like. Like, it doesn't have to be a whole thing, um, except for steak. Look, if you're eating steak, well done. No, no. But for the rest of it, like, you get to be my age. Eat what you like, drink what you like. I'm a man, I'm 43, I drink Trulies, okay? Because they're good. And people might make fun of me for it. Okay, fine, whatever. Drink what you like. If you like them, great. If you don't, great. It doesn't have to be a whole thing. Anyway, quick little aside there. Next question, Dylan Stoll, who is at... On Twitter, at D-Y-L-A-N-J-S-T-O-L-L. Thoughts on the Patriots quarterback situation for 2021? Odds can comes back. I mean, I, I kind of went through that a bit just now. 
I do think that I'd like Cam back, as I as I talked about. Um, I won't foreclose the idea of them bringing Cam back and drafting somebody, say, early-ish on day two. Maybe a Mac Jones if he falls there. Maybe a, a Kyle Trask if he falls there. Um, but those are names that I'd sort of watch out for in that sort of day two range. Um, those guys might, especially Trask, really get into that day one conversation. Another day two guy, maybe Ian Book from Notre Dame. He always showed in some promise at times. Those are sort of names that I would think about. Odds can comes back. You know, I, I'd like to say it's probably 60-40. He does right now. Um, but there's a lot of football left to be played. There's a lot of financial stuff to figure out. So hopefully he does. Maybe he doesn't. Um, but I do think it's more likely than not, to use an old sort of legal standard from my trial lawyer days, that Cam comes back. The other question from Dylan. We all know there are plenty of Christmas movies. Yes, I've already started watching Muppets Christmas Carol. But what is your favorite Thanksgiving movie? I, I, I think there are two Thanksgiving sort of movies slash shows that are it for me. And first is, you know, Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. I still love it. I, I still love it to this day. Um, both of those, Charlie Brown Christmas, Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, even the Halloween special. All three of them. I still love those. I'm a, a kid that grew up on Charlie Brown and the Peanuts. And that still you know, carries a ton of sentimental value with me. Um, but then planes, trains, and automobiles. I, I think Steve Martin and John Candy were just tremendous in that. Um, and, you know, the, the chemistry between the two was just tremendous. And I think if you haven't seen that movie, you need to see it. If you've seen it and you haven't seen it in a while, you need to rewatch it um, because it was just, it was great. It was a great movie. It was heartwarming. Um, it was hilarious at times. You could identify with it at times. Now, obviously, look, there are parts of the plot that like don't really hold up. You know, in a similar vein, you know, we watched Home Alone with the kids uh, the other night. And it's like, look, obviously Home Alone wouldn't hold up today. Because you'd have cell phones and you'd be able to text Kevin and all that. You know, and same thing with this. There were parts of the plot line that would break down in the modern day. You know, with social media and cell phones and everything. But it's still worth watching. So I'd say Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is the other one. Um, final question here. From wannabe rulers of the NFC least at Philly wannabe GM, P-H-I-L-L-Y-W-A-N-N-A-B-G-M. Eagles double down on quarterback factory in 2021 draft and take Derek Kane in the third round. Wentz is traded. Playing a true quarterback system, true two-quarterback system, for actual big chunks of a series multiple times per game. Are they running? Are they passing? Howie's evil plan comes to fruition. Am I nuts? Um, yes and no, maybe. Um, and look, I'm in a bit of a weak mental state right now regarding the Philadelphia quarterback situation, having done a video on what is wrong with the Eagles and having my mentions be an absolute nightmare for the past 36 hours or so. Maybe by the time you listen to this, um, yeah, you're not crazy because they have to figure something out because it's not working. 
Um, in in the video I did, I, I sort of made a, you're getting Mitchell Trubisky vibes here. And what I was referring to was how they're trying, it seems, to simplify the offense for him. You know, they were running mirrored curl flat, which gives me the Matt Nagy vibes. Because they just found different ways to dress up mirrored curl flat for Mitchell Trubisky. And I will say, you know, rumblings are that this is what they're doing. You know, they're trying to simplify things for him. And you're seeing that sort of show up on the film. And so, is running out two quarterbacks crazy? Uh, whatever you have right now isn't working. Now, I do think that once has earned, you know, this job this year and into next year. Whether he keeps it, though, remains to be seen. And a lot might be determined by... Does Doug Peterson survive this? Because the next coach might not be a Wentz fan. As talented as he is, it's not working right now. And yes, there are other problems than number 11 in Philadelphia right now. There are struggles with separation. There are struggles with protection. There are struggles with play calling. Like there's no one easy fix. So would Kane and Hurts as a two-headed quarterback situation work? I don't know. Would it be crazy? Maybe a little bit. Could it be better? Potentially. Would it be fun to cover? Absolutely. Um, so, there are my thoughts on the Philly quarterback situation. And Next question here comes to us from Bill Carroll, who is on Twitter at 11Bravo138. E-L-E-V-E-N-B-R-A-V-O 138. The number is 138. Who's, Bill is one of the smartest people, period, full stop, that I've ever talked to about football. Like, ever talked to about life. And if you're not following Bill, like fix that right now. And he asks, what type of, I guess I'll call it quadruple option, pistol set, option package plays with jet motion, the back as a runner or a receiver, and of course, quarterback as a possible runner concepts might we see going forward? I think the possibilities are endless. I mean, I really think, and sort of building off what we were just talking about with a, a two-quarterback offense, if you look at what Princeton did recently with their two-quarterback, their multi-quarterback offense, the opportunities are endless to really sort of stretch the boundaries of offensive concepts. I mean, especially with so many teams now moving into, you know, I've mentioned a lot. I've, I've talked for years about motion, but I've always sort of used it for information. And I think Dan Orlovsky's recent point about motion for information and for impact is what we're starting to see in the National Football League because it's one thing just to use motion and say, oh, it's man or zone. But I will tell you the teams are starting to figure out ways to get around that. In that Carson Wentz video that I just highlighted a little while ago, there are two examples of them using motion pre-snap, a defender trailing it, and then Cleveland dropping into zone coverage. So if you're Carson Wentz, you see that pre-snap motion, you see a defender trailing it, and you're thinking, look, they're in man coverage, and they drop into zone. And now you have to recalibrate everything. And so now you have to do what Dan Orlovsky has talked about. You use motion not just for information, you use it for impact. And that's why we're seeing the growth of motion at the snap. Players moving at the snap. And so you have that jet motion. You have sort of a pistol look. You can go fly sweep with that guy. You could fake the fly sweep run inside zone, fake the fly sweep, run veer, fake the, fly, fake the fly sweep, run speed option off of that, fake the fly sweep, 
run speed option. Now you pull it back, throw the crossing route to the tight end or the other receiver working that way. Fake the fly sweep, run speed option, pull it back, pump on that crossing route, hit the guy on the fly sweep on a throwback. Like that's just seven different ways or so, if my math is right, you can have that sort of one basic play and build in everything you want to do off of it. And so I think the possibilities are endless, Bill. Um, and people much smarter than me, the Benjamin Solaks, the Seth Galinas, the Brent Coleman's, um, they're going to come up with ways to do this stuff. Now we come to the part of the show where, look, if you don't want to hand it off for this, I get it. You can just take your leave. Uh, we will see you hopefully for a glorious victory episode um, Monday. Um, but this is Thanksgiving. And I do think it's an opportunity for me to do something I haven't done in a while, which is to say thank you. You know, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for playing long. Thank you for sending in questions. Thank you for saving my life. Um, I've been open and honest about where I was before I started doing this football gig, um, which has become something that when I started, I never in my wildest dreams could have imagined it would have become. Um, when I started this, I thought it would be something I'd get to do for a while. Nothing would ever come of it. It would keep me from going insane while I begrudgingly accepted the fact that I would have to go back to doing a real job, you know, because what I do isn't work. You know, when I walk down into my little basement office each Monday morning and, you know, turn on the computer and fire up the film, like it's not really work, you know, I don't wake up in the morning and I'm like, oh man, I can't believe all the stuff I have to do today. It's, I get to talk to Matt Waldman today. I get to talk to Doug Farrar today. I get to do a show with Evan Lazar today or Mike DeBay. I get to do this radio show. I get to do stuff that back in my prior life, I dreamed of doing. Now I'm living it. I'm legitimately living the dream. And it's because of you all. You know, if people didn't like what I was doing, if people didn't listen to the shows, if people didn't retweet the videos that I do each week, I'd be back where I was in a best case scenario. In a worst case scenario, I'm not sure where I'd be. But nowhere good, I know that. And so this Thanksgiving, as I really am every day I get to do this, I'm thankful for you. And I'm incredibly lucky that I have a wife parents, in-laws, family that have supported me through this. And I'm completely cognizant of that, you know, in, in few other places and few other times in history, would my story be possible? And yeah, you know, I'm a upper middle class white guy. Like, yeah, you know, I'm born on third base. I get it. I'm extremely lucky and blessed to have the opportunities that I have had in life and continue to have in life. And I am fully aware and cognizant of that. And I am as I said, thankful for it every single day. But the listeners and the readers and the viewers and the retweeters and the supporters out there, many of whom I will never meet, many of whom I will just know via a scream name or a Slack channel, you've made this little story possible. And you've made this little life that I have now possible. And I can never thank you enough. I can never repay you for the gift you've given me which is a life that I can enjoy and be happy with and not be miserable with almost every single hour of every single day. Um, and so this Thanksgiving, 
I did want to take a moment and say thank you. And I know that this has been a tough year. It's been a brutal year. Um, there is light at the end of the tunnel. But the support that you all have given me through this year, as with every year and every day, means the world to me. And I truly thank you for the bottom of my heart for making this possible. And as I said, I can never say thank you enough. I can never repay you enough. Um, but I will. what I will do is what I try to do every single time I take to a microphone, I take to a Twitter video, or I take to an article, which is throw my absolute heart and soul into what I'm doing. So those of you that read it, that watch it, that listen to it, can get something from it. You know, because in a way, that's the best I can do to try to repay you. Um, so I'll keep doing that every single day until somebody tells me I have to stop. And even then, I'll find a way to keep doing it. Because that's what I owe all of you every single day. So thank you. I love and cherish all of you. I can never, ever repay you enough. Um, but I will try every single time I do what I do. Until then, friends, I wish all of you who are celebrating a happy, safe, blessed Thanksgiving. I thank all of you for tuning in. Wash those hands. And when you do, sin along. Bless those Patriots reigns down in Foxborough.